Before I begin the sermon, I want to take a moment and say thank you to Susan for inviting me to join you here at St. Christopher's, to join all of you in proclaiming together by word and deed, by what we say and what we do, the good news of God's love in our lives, God's presence. Um, it's such a joy, really, for me to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm receiving so much more than I feel like I'm giving, and thank you, Susan, for for letting me come and, and join you. I, I offer this prayer to begin our sermon. In your light, O oh God, we see light. Grant us the grace of seeing. Grant us the grace of seeing. Amen. In February of 1964, Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel wrote these lyrics Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seed while I was sleeping, and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. 10,000 people, maybe more, people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening, People writing songs that voices never share, and no one dare disturb the sound of silence. Some people suspected that Simon and Garfunkel's song, The Sound of Silence, was written to describe the unspeakable emotional pain of Americans in the aftermath of the assassination of President Kennedy in November of 63, especially since Simon penned the words five months after the assassination. And the song was released close to the one-year anniversary of Kennedy's assassination. The song went on to become a number one hit on the billboards in December of 1965. Now Garfunkel never linked the song directly to the assassination, but he did say the song was written to expose the inability of people to communicate with each other especially emotionally about the dark places in their lives. So what you see around you, wrote Garfunkel, are people unable to love each other because of their inability to acknowledge or speak about the darkness in their lives. Now I find it more than interesting, more than mere trivia, that in all ages, not just in America in the 60s, but in all ages and cultures, colors have had symbolic meaning. In fact, Roman historians tell us that many Romans kept an urn by their door, and as they entered their home at the end of the day, they would place either a light-colored stone or dark stone in the urn. The light-colored stone symbolized a good day, a happy day, a day of good fortune. And the dark-colored stone symbolized a hard day, a day of misfortune, a day of suffering. Now with that bit of symbolism in mind, let me ask you as we move further into this new year, this question. If you were to empty your urn, so to speak, for 2020, how would the light and the dark stones add up? Most of us, I think, would consider ourselves blessed. That is to say that for most of our lives, we would probably report that in most years, the light-colored stones have outnumbered the dark ones. But I'd be willing to bet the farm 
that no one here this morning had a 2020 urn with all light colored stones. I'm sure that every person here this morning had a few dark tones in last year's urn and some of you may well have had a majority of dark colored stones. The take home point here is that darkness is a part of life. There's no way around it. We're called to go through it like Red Sea people. We have to go through it. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. It is a part of our personal life, our corporate life, even our life in the church. A part of life that can be very painful and often hard to talk about. It's hard to describe when we're overwhelmed by darkness or pain, hard to give words to it. It can be wrapped in a sound of silence, but if we don't bring it to the light, we're often unable to love one another. It's even hard at times to pray in that kind of darkness. St. Paul says there are times in life when we don't know how to pray. Thank God he goes on to say that at times like that, the Spirit prays or intercedes on our behalf. The Spirit prays within us, he says, with groans too deep for words, with sighs too deep for words. You see, the reality is if we live long enough, darkness will come to visit us again. The only way to avoid it is to die immediately. Most of us aren't ready for that. Darkness comes to visit us again, and we say, hello, darkness, my old friend. It may be the darkness of this ongoing pandemic and all of the fallout from that economically and people without work and people hungry. It may be, it may be the darkness of another storm. I've eliminated the H word from my vocabulary because we got hit hard last year by Sally. It might be the darkness of someone being unfaithful to you or their prejudice toward you. It may be the darkness of some endogenous depression or an addiction or the darkness of abuse or or some act of terrorism. The darkness of a premature death and overwhelming grief. Whatever form it takes, sooner or later the challenge before all of us, I think, is how do we live creatively and faithfully and with hope in the dark days and dark places of our life? 2020 had to be not only a challenge, but an opportunity to deepen spiritually and learn how to live creatively and faithfully when darkness comes to visit us again. It is to these times of darkness, I believe, that today's gospel story speaks. Mark tells us Jesus entered the synagogue and he out of nowhere is confronted by a man with an unclean inner darkness. Recognizing Jesus, the dark spirit asks, what have you come to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? Notice, if you will, the plural pronoun us. Meaning, of course, I think that darkness can come upon us and within us in many forms. It's interesting to me that Jesus does not panic. He does not call the temple police. 
He does not use any special incantations or exhortations. He simply stands there. And with the courage, the courage that had to come to him from Abba, he looks into the inner darkness of this tormented man. And he says to the dark spirit, come out. And the spirit came out of the man and the people in the synagogue were astonished and kept on exclaiming, what is this? A new teaching. He teaches not as the scribes and the Pharisees, but as one with authority. In last week's gospel reading, we heard Mark describe how Jesus called his disciples to follow him in trusting in the good news of God. Sometimes that's hard. It's hard to follow Jesus and trust in the good news of God. In today's gospel reading, we start to see the good news manifested, revealed, made known. This is a call, I think, from Jesus to stand with him in the face of whatever darkness is before us or perhaps within us and to pray that we might trust in the authority of God to bring light out of darkness. This authority was manifested in the person of Jesus who in the book of Revelation is described as the lion the courage to face the darkness, the lion of Judah. His power is revealed. How is it? How is it that this lion of Judah triumphs? Exactly what is his authority? How is it revealed? Consider the following story, which happens to be a true story about my wife, Jan. Several years ago, she was teaching yoga in Mobile as, as, on a full-time basis, and she was teaching one class once a week at the Strickland Youth Center. The Strickland Youth Center is, is a home for adjudicated youth who are really one step away from prison. She was teaching a class of five or six young teenage girls, and at the end of the class, she said, the light in me greets the light in you or sees the light in you. She started to leave and one young girl came up to her, 13, 14 years old, and said, Miss Teacher, the light in me went out a long time ago. With compassion and yet with authority, Jan said, Oh, no, it didn't. I can see that light in your eyes. C.S. Lewis said, When we get to heaven... We're not going to say you're so beautiful, Lord. Lewis said that what we will say is that it was you all along. We'll look back on our lives and we'll say and we'll recognize, we'll come to the awareness it was Christ all along and every person that ever loved us and every person that ever affirmed the light within us, it was Christ all along. When you and I, and I would say when anyone is overcome or overwhelmed by the darkness of the world or the darkness within ourselves, Christ comes to us. How does he come? He comes in and through creation for one way. It's amazing how many saints speak of knowing God as powerful in and through creation. Ignatius of Loyola says one of the greatest 
One of the greatest consolations he ever had was at Manresa when he was looking at the stars at night and he saw them against the dark sky. Of course, with Ignatius, who was the founder of the Jesuit order, the Society of Jesus, the words for this sequence hymn were so true, the star of his life was Jesus. But he knew that the power of that light in and through creation, as well as in and through the person of Jesus. And then there was, there was Julian of Norwich, in her simple meditation with a hazelnut, thinking about how did it come into existence and what sustained it. She came to believe through that meditation with that hazelnut that all would be well. That if God sustained something that small, how much more would he sustain us in our struggles with darkness? And she penned those words, all will be well, all will be well. And they cannot be read as just sort of pie-in-the-sky religious optimism because she lived in a time when the Black Plague was spreading across Europe. She lived in a time of the Hundred Years' War. She lived in a time when the church was full of schism. Can we hear those words today? All will be well. Not as an escape, but as the courage to live into the darkness, to be the Red Sea people, to go through the darkness. When Christ comes to us in our darkness, Christ shows us the astonishing light of our own being. And it doesn't matter to him how dim the light is burning. The prophet Isaiah says, a dimly burning wick he will not snuff out. Which to me translates, there is always hope, no matter how dim the light of Christ within us is. There is hope that Christ will come and fan that flame with his, with his light. And he says an amazing thing in the Gospels. He says, you are the light. Don't forget that. You are the light, he says. He's saying that the light in us, which is his light, cannot be overcome by the darkness. And oh, does that give us hope. How does Christ come? He comes through creation and he comes through one another. Lewis was right. He was so right when he said, we will realize one day it was you all along and every person that ever loved me. Christ comes to us through each other, affirming in each other the light, his light, which the darkness cannot overcome. When the apostle Paul considered how he survived his own dark experiences to live and preach about this gospel. It's quite clear to him who it was that walked him through the darkness and turned on the light. He puts it this way in his letter to the Christians in Corinth. The same God who said out of darkness let shine, taking us back to the light of creation. That same God that has that power has now caused his light to shine within us. To give the revelation of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus, particularly on the cross in his passion, involves both darkness and light. 
You can see it on the bulletin cover. The Celtic cross in the darkness and the light, the crucifixion of God's incarnate lies was, was indeed the darkest hour in human history. All three of the Gospels tell us of something strange, a strange phenomena going on surrounding the death of Jesus. We're told that the last three hours of his life, there was darkness all over the land. And yet, we know that this darkness, out of it came the greatest light of love that the world has ever seen. As we move into 2021, it will have its share of darkness. But today's gospel proclaims to us that whatever darkness we face outside of us or within us, we don't face it alone. In Christ, through Christ, we have the opportunity to put on the night vision goggles of faith. And this sight, this insight that is given to us is not reserved for those who deserve it or those who have earned it. It's for everyone. Ask and you will receive, says Jesus. So I invite you to join with me now in a meditation on a prayer written by the Celtic theologian John Philip Newell. In this prayer, he affirms the light coming through creation and through others. I'll read it slowly so that we might hear it as St. Benedict describes with the ear of the heart. We watch this morning, O Christ, we watch for the light that the darkness has not overcome. We watch for the fire that was in the beginning and that burns still in the brilliance of the rising sun. We watch for the glow of life that gleams in the growing earth and glistens in sky and sea. We watch for your light, O God. We watch for it in the eyes of every living creature and in the ever-living flame of our own soul. If the grace of seeing were ours this day, we would see you in all that lives. Grant us the grace of seeing today. Grant us the grace of seeing.